This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Equity Lines. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm good, Bryce. Uh, excited for this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Ren. So before we kick into it, two pieces of housekeeping. Get your shirts if you haven't already. Support Ren. You know, he uses the funds to buy some coffee and lunch. So 25 bucks if you haven't already got your Equity Mates t-shirt. Only a few left. And also, if you haven't started listening to Get Started Investing or know some friends who want to start their investing journey, shoot them over to get started investing on their podcast feed. And it's a 12 part series with all the fundamentals that you need to get started on your investing journey from all the lessons that we've learned from our journey and also the experts that we've met along the way. So get stuck into that. Yeah, 100%. So Ren, the final one of our shallow dives. Depending in the order in which we release Yeah, depending on the order. The final one that we're recording. The final one that we're recording, yeah. Mammoth recording session today. So this one will certainly be short and sweet, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not because we're not interested in the company, but it's just because there's not really a lot going on with this company at the moment unless we're missing something significant. Would you agree, Ren? Well, look, if we're missing something significant, the market is also missing something significant because the company's market cap is $7.1 million. $7.1 million. Yes. <laughs> that is almost not worth being listed. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'd want to be listed, to be honest. But yeah. like, that's less than most Silicon Valley companies raise in like a Series A round these days. That's probably less than most Silicon companies spend on staff lunch. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, look, we shouldn't disparage it because Equity Mates Media is worth far less than $7 million. Yeah, absolutely. For the moment. So, Ren, we're talking about Digital Wine Venture. Its ASX ticker is DW8. Can I just interrupt there? The ASX ticker DWV hasn't been taken. Yeah, so so you're saying rather than go with DW8, we should they could have just taken DWV what? to re- remove any confusion. <laughs> I mean, it's not even confusion. It's just that their name is Digital Wine Ventures, and that DW 
uh, V was available. Maybe they just went, maybe it's meant to be D-weight. Maybe. <laughs> like, don't wait for your drinks anymore. <laughs> D-weight. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Look, we can take that up with them along with a couple of other questions we've got. But uh, Digital Wine Ventures is a company that invests in technology-driven businesses servicing the global wine and beverage industry, Ren. So before we jump into that, I have a few questions for you. The global wine market is valued at $300 billion. Not bad. What do you think Australia produce in terms of the value of wine? $10 billion? Coming in a little less than that at $6 billion, and that is produced by how many number of wineries in Australia do you think? 2,000. Not bad. So 2,500 wineries in Australia. And who do you think is the biggest exporter of wine in terms of uh, state in Australia or territory? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, Adelaide's best known. Yeah. New South Wales is the biggest. Yeah. New South Wales has some good wines. Melbourne has some good wineries. Do they? Yeah. Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> Where? Uh, uh, in the country. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, um, so not uh, Melbourne City. Well, given yeah. your reaction from that, oh, sorry, Victoria is—is is that what you were? Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> it's not going to be in any of the hot state. Well, Queensland wines, fine hot state, <laughs> because Western Australia has Margaret River. True, but uh, in the southern part of the cool Western part. Australia, yeah, the <laughs> coldest corner of Australia, as it's known. Uh, I'm going to go with the obvious answer and say South Australia. Yeah, you've nailed that one. As a percentage of total exports, what do you think it is? 40%. Not bad. 33%. So, yes, a significant market for digital wine venture to be playing in. So, they're obviously looking for companies that are disruptive, transformative, looking in areas at which they can, I guess, disrupt the way things are going in the wine market at the moment, servicing the wine market. They're not necessarily investing in any wineries or production at this stage. Well, here's my first question. How many companies have they actually invested in? They've invested in a grand total of one company so far. So they are pre-revenue ren, meaning no revenue to report at this stage. Yes. They've invested in Wine Depot. Now, Wine Depot, I think from my point of view, I like it's a good idea. And what they do, they're a wine logistics solution company. And so they set up a whole bunch of depots around Australia. They house wine from producers around Australia and then they distribute and manage the orders for these wines and send to to the customers or to other businesses. Now, you and I both know, Ren, that the last mile, as it's called in in retail, is one of the trickier parts, and that's that part between the sale of the product and getting it to the consumer's home. And this is supposed to be helping that part of the journey for small boutique wineries and, I guess, other winery retailers as well, who, who I guess, struggle to be as uh, with a distribution channel. What are your thoughts? Uh, look, I I have a different view to you. I'm not. I, I don't know how much they've actually solved anything, or if they're just trying to, you know, sort of capture value in an existing supply chain. They haven't solved the last mile. They use Australia Post to deliver, and essentially they've just partnered with Australia Post to collect from their warehouses, and so essentially. They just are becoming an aggregator. They're, you know, uh, I'm sure in their investor pitches, the term Amazon for wine was used more than a couple of times. <laughs> yes. Just think of Amazon's third party logistics, you know, where sellers pay Amazon to house their stock in the Amazon warehouse and then Amazon will fulfill the order once it's ordered through the platform. That's really what these guys are doing with wine. They are offering a warehousing solution for smaller wineries and then 
they're fulfilling it, but they're fulfilling it through Australia Post. I can see a value proposition in terms of discovery for customers. Yeah. If you if you give them access to smaller wineries that they may not otherwise have known. And I can see a, a solution in terms of capacity for smaller vineyards who can't hold a whole lot of stock because they don't have a whole lot of space. And if they can put it into a distribution center, then they can, you know, they can probably sell more and produce more because they know they can and they have throughput out of their site quicker. In saying all that, though, I don't feel like they've really reinvented the wheel here. I don't think they're trying to reinvent the wheel. I just think they're trying to provide a service that's perhaps not available at the moment. But is it not available? Like, well, there's plenty of people that order wines from plenty of different wholesalers. Like, bloody Qantas has a wine club that you can order Qantas wines from. And I, I just think they're going to be X plus one in a pretty crowded space. And then the distribution and logistics that sit behind a lot of these wine clubs are somewhat different. But realistically, I think it's a pretty crowded space. Yeah, I guess it depends on what is the variety of wine that you can choose from. Because at the moment, if you're looking to get same day delivery or, you know, even Jimmy brings within sort of an hour, your selection is very minimal. If you then look at the other end of town where you have large selection, you're generally looking at sort of a two day delivery period. This is where they're coming in to say that we can do same and next day delivery. And I guess by holding a larger inventory in these warehouses, they might be filling that gap in between. So we'll see. Again, I just think it's a... I don't know if it's nailed the customer proposition because I think customers that if, if they're if they're saying we're going to do boutique wines, that if we're going to play the discovery card and we're going to give you access to a whole lot of wines that, that you otherwise only yeah that you wouldn't yeah. otherwise have access to the the profile of that customer is someone who has a lot of wine in their cellar or in their house um, and is ordering you know by the dozen um, then they're not the customer that's getting the Jimmy Brings app and trying to get, you know, same day delivery. They're happy to wait because they are collectors and have a lot of wine. The flip side is if they're trying to smash same day delivery and say, when we've got the most efficient supply chain, then they brush up against the people like Jimmy Brings who will always be more efficient because they're not reliant on Australia Post. And then people who are desperate for that efficiency will probably sacrifice range for efficiency and go with you know, the Jimmy Brings of the world and stuff like that. And I'm sure there is a sweet spot in the middle. Maybe people who have a dinner party that night and need same-day delivery, restaurants that are running short on certain wine that you can't get in most places, customer value proposition that they answer. I just don't know if it's that broad. Yeah, well, you don't buy a lot of wine, so... No, but if I do, I'm not desperate to get it yeah, same, same day, day. Yeah, or I'm on the way somewhere and I'm getting it yeah. on the way. The two for 10 special that you usually yeah. pick up. <laughs> the, the three goon bags <laughs> that I finish my night with. I'm sure there's a sweet spot, but you know, you just rattled off a whole bunch of numbers around a $6 billion industry. I don't know how much of the industry that captures. So what's also interesting, Ren, is that this wine depot was started by the CEO of Digital Wine Venture. So essentially, he created Wine Depot and then has created an investment vehicle to then buy that. And now he runs Digital Wine Venture. So 
I don't know if there's anything dodgy with that or what's going on. I'm sure there's not. It, it sort of makes sense. But look, we talk about management and their experience in the industry and Dean Taylor is the CEO. Now, I don't know if you've read his CV, Ren, but it's safe to say that this guy has certainly had a solid crack at starting a lot of businesses in the wine industry and has a fair bit of experience. Just to give you a bit of a taste for what he's done. So he started out as an architect, then he established Wine Arc in 2000, which was a climate controlled storage business. million worth of wine around the country. 2003 launched Wine Exchange. They're an online trading platform. Then the Seller Club, which was an ultra premium wine club. They were then acquired by Seller Masters in 2009. Then in 10, he founded Cracker Wines, which is a direct to consumer marketplace that became one of Australia's top 50 online retailers and then went into niche market called uh, Wine Growers and started Mr. Wine Guy before merging those two businesses to create the Wine Collective. So this guy has done it all. So you be, should be pretty confident that this uh, he knows what he's doing. Wine Depot, we'll see what happens. Your reading of his CV has just proven my point. In that CV alone, there's three direct-to-consumer and business-to-business online wine platforms that will compete directly with Wine Depot. Wine Collective... Mr. Crackerjack, was it? Um, and Cracker Wines. Cracker Wines and the Wine Cellar or whatever it was were all like online aggregators that offer the public access to a whole bunch of wineries. Yeah, well, I think slightly different model from the, from the logistics point of view. Yes, but customers don't care about logistics. They care about the result of logistics, which is getting the wine in a certain period of time. And I guess I would suggest that if it becomes such an important part of the customer value proposition, getting Australia Post same-day delivery to get your wines, what's to stop any of those three wine clubs or any other wine club from saying, that's an investment we need to make? That's a fair point. We'll, We'll hang on to the customers that we already have and make the investment in logistics. Right, well, from my end, Ren, that's pretty much a, a, really? <laughs> a summary of... Well, hold on. No, there's a few things we should just say. Yeah. It doesn't have revenue yet. No. So, obviously, valuing cash flows and all of that is hard. Tough to compare it to its peers because you can't use any of those relative metrics, price to earnings, price to sales. It does have some cash on its balance sheet. I think it's got about $890,000. So, you could value it based off that or you could... You could try and do some top-down analysis and say, you know, the value of wine subscription services is X number of dollars and we think it will capture this much of the market, which will lead to this much in profitability. But there's a lot of forecasting that goes on there. So that's a long way of saying that right now, tough to give this business a value. Yeah, The market's given it a value of about $7 million, which as a per share value is 0.7 of a cent. Yeah, which is, yeah. Yeah. So look, I think I've obviously been negative on Wine Depot. I don't say the the differentiation, but you know, I'm sure that they'll prove me wrong. And who knows what else this company will invest in. I think the only other thing I would say is you do have to take the whole, we invest in technology driven businesses with a grain of salt when it's got $890,000 on its balance sheet, Yeah. because what it will mean is that it'll capital raise or it will use debt to invest in businesses. Yeah which would be an interesting decision. So yeah, look, I think there's a lot of unknowns with this business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One to keep an eye on though. Oh, 100%. I mean, 
probably not the closest eye from me, but <laughs> keep me updated with how it's going. I will, Ren. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we said, short and sweet. Uh, I'm sure you can understand why, but thank you to everyone who has sent in uh, recommendations for stocks to look at. We've got 180 of them, so we've probably got years worth of uh, doing these summer series to go. So appreciate everyone for sending it in. And Ren, always good to chat stocks. And- I think uh, next year, if we do this, I'm going to put a minimum market cap on the that's fine. suggestions. No, that's fair enough. And we will leave it there and uh, looking forward to our start of the 2020 with some of our bold predictions, Ren. Can't wait. And the best way to start 2020 is in a good financial state of mind, ready to really make the most money possible in 2020. And the best way to do that is to brush up on the basics or go over the basics for the first time. And the best way to do that is Get Started Investing the podcast by equity mates <laughs> yes <laughs> great plug all right we'll leave it there thanks for listening to equity mates investing podcast a production of equity mates media please remember that everything you hear in equity mates investing podcast is general advice only the content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives specific financial circumstances or goals the host of equity mates investing podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.